Thank you. Luke chapter 5. Turn there, please. I'm not going to preach long to you. Because really what has already taken place is found in Luke 5. Just going to give you some, some scriptural backing and encourage you and help you. Luke 5, go to verse 15. Luke 5 and verse 15. You're all there, say amen. amen. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day... Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And they came from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. I want you to say that. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, that's how you know you're having revival. You can't, doesn't matter parking. None of that matters. You can't even get into the place. They went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Wow, how rude, especially if you're the homeowner. And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus what? Saw their faith. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things? I mean, that had to freak them out. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were all filled with awe, I bet, and said... We have seen remarkable things today. Father, thank you for your word and the brief moments that remain tonight. We're asking you to give us living understanding for you to move in power. For those that are not healed just yet, release your healing power even now. I'm reminded of when Peter preached and the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were hearing. Lord, may it be like that. May your healing power, may miracles, even the signs and wonders Come right now in Jesus' name to testify that you've risen again from the grave and for your great love for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, it says this. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. That's kind of amazing. I mean, how did that happen? Clothes wear out. Shoes wear out. But there's something about the power of God, the presence of God that revitalizes. Turn to 2 Samuel, please. 2 Samuel. And then we'll, just setting you up, and then we'll look at Luke 5. 2 Samuel chapter 6. There's something about the power of God that brings restoration, that, 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 
purifies. There's something about the power of God that heals. You know, the manna rotted after a day, but not when it was put in the ark. It lasted. Why? I believe it's the power of the Lord. The rod of Aaron in the ark budded. I mean, how, how does a rod, you know what a rod is? It's a stick from a tree, in this case, an almond tree, and broken off and used as a staff, and it's put in there, and it buds, and it makes almonds. It's not connected to the tree, or is it? I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15 talks about that. The power of the Lord. David, in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 it goes on to tell the story about how they brought the ark out of the Philistines. Kind of crazy to say, but Saul had been king for some 20 years or whatever it is. And he never had even the thought of bringing the ark of the covenant out of the Philistines. He never, he never thought about bringing it to, you know, to, to worship. Listen, leadership can usher in God's power and presence or leadership can shut it down. I've heard, I've heard people say, I'm going back to my dead church and I'm going to bring revival. No, you're not. No, I'm just saying, unless God gets a hold of the guy that's at the head of your dead church, it's still going to be dead. And you can fight against him in rebellion against what they want to do in that church. And I'm going to tell you, it'd be the biggest mistake of your life. If God doesn't get a hold of the cook, the food ain't changing. I'm just telling you. Now God can call you back to your church that might be dead or whatever it's going through and call you to be an intercessor and pray. But don't you be a little Christian witch. I'm going to go over here. I felt scared over there for a second. I don't be a Christian warlock. Don't get in a place and try to change the vision of the church. Try to change the pastor. Try to get him to pray. Try to get him to pray in tongues. You'll be beating your head against the wall all of your life. No, no, no. And furthermore, I don't know. I, 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 don't, know. I don't know how you could go to a church without the power. I, I'd have backslid. All, I mean, I'd have backslid so long ago. I mean, I just would beg for somebody to put a cap in me and put me out of my misery. I mean, I was there. Some of you don't know what a cap is, but that's all right. <laughs> I couldn't go to a dead church. And I love the body of Christ. Please don't hear me wrong. My, I can feel my wife being like, dude, the body of Christ. I know. But if you wander out of the way of understanding, you will rest in the congregation of the dead. And I'm going to tell you, there is a congregation that's dead. Twice pulled up by the roots. People in sin. People in bondage. And I am never going to go to a church I never have. And I'm not going to start now. There's a place of dead congregation. Listen, Hymenaeus and, and the different ones that the Apostle Paul talked about, he called them out by name. And I'm going to tell you that there are places where, where pastors are getting drunk and people are carousing and they're doing stuff. And if you end up under a mantle like that, you're going to end up all jacked up just like they are. And it doesn't matter in your mind if you think that you can intercede to have them set free. Now, well, you don't know my prayer life. Well, maybe not. I've just never seen it work ever. Okay, so my 25 years in the Lord maybe doesn't mean that much to some of you, but I'm just saying, I've never seen that work. I've seen people go to, to dead places and try to bring restoration. It's wonderful. I tell you, unless God gets a hold of that pastor, gets a hold of those leaders, it ain't ever going to happen. Now, I don't know how I got on that, but I did. Just pretend I'm the guest evangelist for tonight, all right? 
Amen. I'll be signing books in the back. <laughs> Leadership can usher in God's power and presence or shut it down. And Saul, the king, head and shoulders above everybody else, would not usher in the Ark of the Covenant. Would not usher in the power. It's a, it's a visible manifestation of the power and the presence of God. That's what the Ark was. The Shekinah glory. How do, you have, how do you have church without the power, without the glory, without the presence? I understand that we might be playing in a puddle of his glory, but I'm glad for the puddle. I know there's more. I know there's deeper things in God. I, and I want to go there. And that's why we fast and pray and believe for breakthrough. That's why we contend for healing signs and wonders and miracles. Come on, contend for it. The day you stop fighting is the day you shrivel up and be part of the congregation of the dead. But David was a different sort, made of a different type of fabric. He had a hunger for God, the shepherd boy, the worshiping warrior. He said, how can the ark come to me? So they brought him out. They bought a new car. They got a new limo. They got a new trailer. And they tried to bring it. That's the wrong way you carry the ark. It was a nice thought to get a new trailer and all that, new hitch. Get his Dodge Cummings turbo diesel, you know, brand new. Pull the ark. In. That's not how it worked. And somebody reached out to Steady. I think his name is Uzzah. I wonder if they named him after he blew up because it just sort of sounds Uzzah. It just, he got struck through his familiarity. He reached out to Steady the ark. And there he was, smoking entrails for everybody to watch. Oh, my gosh. He, he had been with the ark for 20 years. I didn't give you any notes, so we're all good. Praise God. <laughs> he had been the ark for 20 years. 20 years he had the ark in his house. And I think it's like, I don't know. I, I have some artifacts. You know, they're family artifacts. In fact, the, the first thing that comes to mind is a beautiful piece of cut crystal. And it's, it's a decanter. Now, we don't, we don't use that. I don't, I don't drink, but, but apparently they drank in my family generations before. And this thing's been in our family. I grew up with it in my family. It's beautiful and it's red and it captures the light wonderfully. It sits up. I mean, it's up on a shelf next to the bolt cutters. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm partially joking. It's like I haven't even thought about it till right now. But it's in our house. I mean, I'm going to go home. I'm going to look. And I, and I promise you, it's probably got some dust or something. No offense, Pastor Karen. But, but I mean, you know, it's back there somewhere. The ark was just a piece of furniture to Uzzah. At Abinadab's house. He grew up with it. There was a familiarity to the, the God box. And so he just said, oh, I got it. <laughs> Wrong. Uzzah blew up. And David looks for Obed to eat him. And he says, Obed. He's like, yes, sir. He says, take the box back to your house. Excuse me? Take the God box back to your house. Um, King David, um, you don't know my kids. They really don't listen to me too well. And I, and I don't want my kids to be like Uzzah. And if they reach out and... and, and. No, he, he didn't complain. I mean, we're reading between the lines. I think he just said, yes, sir. Then I think he went home and got his kids and said, I know you ain't accustomed to listening to me ever. I know you don't listen to your mama either. 
but let me just show you Uncle, Uncle Uzzah, okay? okay? Okay, you see the smoke rising over here from, the, you see this? You see this spattering here? This is Uncle Uzzah's entrails. He's dead. He touched the box. Don't touch the box. Repeat after me. Don't touch the box. Very good. There's first time obedience for you. If it doesn't work, you're going to be just like Uncle Uzzah, smoking entrails everywhere, and then your mom's going to have to clean that up inside the house. It'd be a horrible thing. Don't touch the box. And then David went and figured out how the ark is supposed to come, how you're supposed to carry the ark. And it's this text where he says, how can the ark come to me? It's a picture of how can God's power come to my home? How can God's presence come to my life? How can God's power be released in my life to see the healing miracle power of God? How can that happen? I don't want to be a lame duck Christian. I don't want to be somebody who's got no power, no authority. I don't want to be reduced to a religious person who can't do anything in my life. I want to walk in power. I want to walk in authority. Oh God, I want your presence in my life. That's what he said. Very good. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just, just teasing. Okay. Every time I talk about Obed-Edom, I always sing that song and I just want to be consistent tonight. So when the ark went to Obed-Edom's house, <laughs> it could be cloudy everywhere, but he had sunshine. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. All right, let's move on. I just, you know, I just wanted to be consistent. Let's look at the text. When it's cold outside, yeah, I got the month of May. Yes, <laughs> you said, what can make me feel this way? Talking about my God. Okay. Choir rehearsals on Thursday nights. Um, verse 17 of Luke 5. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same power on the ark, on the God box, was on Christ, is in you. And when the presence and the power of the Lord comes, miracles take place. So Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is happening today. And you can see in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Let me break it down for you in the original language. Where the Holy Spirit is allowed to be Lord, then there's freedom. One of the reasons people don't have freedom is you don't allow the Holy Spirit to be Lord. And, you know, it can be really challenging as a pastor where you spend hours and hours and hours in sermon preparation. Sometimes it's fast and other times it's slow. I mean, I just never really know from week to week. But can you imagine spending maybe 10 hours or so, and listen, some people spend 30. 
There are some pastors that spend 40 hours a whole week working on messages to bring a 30-minute message on a Sunday morning. And, and, and I mean, they can't raise a cricket from the dead. There's no power. There's no authority. You need to have good teaching. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You, need to, you need to have power, though. And what that means in the, in the Greek, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the Holy Spirit is allowed to be Lord, where you allow Him to lead, where you allow Him to guide, where you allow Him to direct, then there's freedom. There's no freedom that comes through stale, dead, pharisaical Christianity. It just doesn't come. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn there. No, go to Romans 15. What made the Apostle Paul such a dynamic part of the New Testament and the expansion of the kingdom? What was it? Was it his education? He certainly had it. Was it his education? Not according to him, it wasn't. Was it his wonderful ability to write and penmanship? No, he, he couldn't write. He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't understand what that was. Maybe it was bad vision. Maybe it was a person. He begged the Lord to take it from him, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. In Romans 15, verse 19, he describes the basis of his ministry. And I want to say this to you, and I'm not going to preach much longer. The basis of his ministry is really the basis of Jesus' ministry. And the basis of Jesus' ministry, the basis of the Apostle Paul's ministry, should be the basis of our ministry. And, and so when you read this in Romans 15, go to verse 18. I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey what I have said and done. Verse 19, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So that Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's basically saying that through signs and wonders and miracles, the gospel penetrated pagan culture. Now, you might think that we're a Christian country, and I would certainly agree that the foundation of our country is Christian, but we have become a pagan culture. But it's power, the power of the Spirit, the power of His presence, signs, wonders, and miracles. Say it. Signs, wonders, and miracles that will release the gospel, the kingdom of God, in ways that your words and eloquence never can. First Corinthians, turn there. Verse 4 of chapter 2. First Corinthians 2. Verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I mean, I, I sound like a skipping CD. I mean, how many times do I have to read this? But we forget. We're dumbed down by TV. We're, we're overloaded and overwhelmed by, my gosh, how many commercials are there for Viagra and, 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 and prostate cancer and, oh, and, and, and if you have this and all the, all the byproduct, you know, what are they called? The, uh, the side effects. You guys are freaked out because I said Viagra. Get over it. I mean, they got drugs for everything. But the side effects will kill you. Land death, right? Uh... Maybe I should believe God. 
persuasive words. No, not persuasive words, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power. My, my, my. If you go and study the, the healing revivals of old, you'll see it was the power of the Spirit that brought the difference. You study from the turn of the century, Maria Wordsworth Etter, and I mean, just go to Oral Roberts, who's gone to glory now, or Catherine Kuhlman. I mean, Catherine Kuhlman would, they would have worship and, and prayer, and they would just wait, and she wouldn't do anything. I mean, you know, we, I try to tuck our services together in two hours at the max. There are times that we go over. And honestly, sometimes I think, I think maybe I've set my, set my heart so much to not steal from people's time that maybe I didn't give God more time that we could have had more miracles. Sometimes I think about that. Some of you are like, no, that ain't God. All right. <laughs> I was going to say something really offensive, but I'll just fend myself. There's four things in the text that set the stage for the outpouring and the release of God's power and his presence to heal the sick. Four things. Number one, prayer. Verse 15 and 16. He went away to solitary places and he prayed. I talked about that this morning, but if you don't have a prayer life, what would make you think you'll have his presence? If you're not dependent on the Lord and you, and you don't set your life up to be in dependence on him, prayer is a statement before God and others that you are dependent on God. If you don't have a prayer life, then really you don't believe in that. Listen, you know, you know what people believe is important by what they do. So if you don't do things, then that's not important to you. You don't read the Bible, it's not important. You don't pray, that's not important. You say whatever you want. What you do is what you believe. How many of you think it's important to pay your rent, pay your mortgage? How many think it'd be a pretty good, bad idea if you lost your house? Yeah, you don't need to be reminded of that, I hope. Right? Because it's important. Is prayer important? Prayer is important. And prayer set the stage. It really did. Jesus would constantly go away and pray. He would constantly put his, his heart before the Father and talk to him. And fully God, fully man, and he had a prayer life. My gosh. If the presence of the Lord is going to be manifested, we're going to have to spend time with him. I said it the other day that I think it was Austin Jones that I recall. I've heard others say it, but I remember Austin saying it. He said, what you have here, many people paid into what you have here. That God's presence is here not just because we decided to come up and clap our hands. Even though the where two or three are gathered, there he is. But there's a level of anointing and a, and a power and a presence that comes that's growing. It's, it's, it's getting wider and deeper. I believe we're going to have a great revival. Come on, somebody say amen. The second thing I see quickly now, and there's only four, faith must be present. Jesus saw their faith. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see signs. You're going to see wonders. Faith has got to set the stage. And you, I mean, pardon me, prayer's got to set the stage and you got to have faith. When Jesus saw their faith, I mean, these boys, what a bunch of crazy friends. I think, I think that we all ought to have crazy friends like this. You ought to cultivate crazy, four crazy friends of the paralytic guy. We pastored young adults before we were pastoring a, a church on Molokai. And these guys, some of these guys were crazy in a wonderful way. And my wife and I, we had a son who lived for about 15 minutes and went straight to glory. We'll see him later. 
And they came in. I had been preaching to them. I, we had been fasting. We've been crazy going after miracles. And they come into the hotel. Hotel. They come into the hospital. Begins with an H. Come into the hospital. And the one guy says, hey, um, um, Pastor, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? I mean, we're grieving. Our, our kid just died. And it's down in the morgue. He says, you know, um, would it be okay? Do you know this? Would it be okay if, uh, if we tried to raise your son from the dead? Would that be all right? I said, go for it, bro. Yeah. He said, you want to come with us? I said, no. See, because I'd already gotten a word from the Lord. Yeah. He already spoke to me, so I was all prayed up, ready to do a miracle, and he says, no. In fact, I had the child in my hands. I'm in the, I'm in the, birth, I'm in the birthing room, you know, and there, there was a C-section Pastor Karen, they're kind of putting her back together. And they said, Mr. Bracken, do you want to come over here? They're very sweet. We want to wash your baby up. And I said, just give me my son. We, we had an obvious problem. I didn't care to wash the baby anything. Hand me my son. I took him. I, and I said, in, in the room with everybody there, lifted my voice and say, oh, God. I mean, like that. Like, I really didn't care. Oh, God. And I was about to pray the, you know, reconstructive, super miracle, you know, healing. All I got was, oh God, and I heard him say, it might have been audible, it was so clear, he said, son, no. I just went, what? Ah. Ah, and I cried, and I went over to Karen, and she put her hand on his little chest as the heart began to slow down, and he passed on to glory. I didn't understand that. And listen, you don't have to understand God's ways. We can understand that he's good. Settle it there. He's good. You don't understand why well, somebody died and passed on. I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand either. And, and one day, listen, who are you? You don't know how planets spin around and don't crash into each other. I mean, who do you think you are? Who do, who do we think we are? We're, we have finite minds. He's infinite. You're finite. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we only use about the size of a pea, apparently, in our brain. Maybe some less than that. And you're like, I don't understand, God, if you even love me. Oh, stop. The miracles that took place and all through that. But they had faith to go down there and, lay, and I commended them for it. And honestly, I didn't want to stop them. I just thought, well, maybe God will tell them yes. We went to a funeral and... This lady who uh, had died suddenly, she was like in her 30s and, and really wasn't living a real healthy life. In fact, she was pretty mean and ornery. Her, her daughter came to our youth group many, many years ago, not here. And so they asked me to do the funeral. So, I mean... Pretty serious unbeliever with a wicked lifestyle. So, I mean, you can't preach, you know, oh, she went to heaven. You know, we didn't have that message because that's not the message. Because there really is a place called hell. Unless you get repent, then that's where you go. That's where I would go. But you need to receive Jesus. So we didn't have that assurance. And I looked for it. Oh, no, she was like cursing when she died. Okay, great. You know, that's a bad sign. I got up there and just before I got up, some of those young adults came and said, Pastor, raise her up. I said, what? 
Here I am, got my cute little suit on. I'm ready to do the funeral. The whole family's there. Raise her up. Come on, you know you believe. You can do it. Raise her up. Just, just raise her up from the dead. I'm like, get away from me, man. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. And they're like, Pastor, really? We've been talking and we're praying in the back. And I look and there's a bunch of youth. A bunch of youth in the back just kind of going for it. I just thought, no, she's dead. It's over. I didn't have faith. <laughs> These guys had faith. If your faith will be seen, faith is seen. They dragged the boy up on a roof, flat roof, ripped up the roofing tiles and lowered him in. And if you're the homeowner, buddy, you're probably pretty jacked up until you saw him get out of his mat. I mean, you know, pretty much the cost of your roofing would, that's worth it. So we talked about prayer. We talked about faith has got to be seen. Being forgiven and obedient. Be forgiven. You know, unforgiveness will keep sickness in your life. Bitterness will cause sickness and bitter root can grow up and defile many. Bitterness can cause trouble. I, I preached a message on it not long ago. Unforgiveness can, can allow for sickness, infirmity in your life. Come on, you need to forgive your mom and dad and you know it. You need to forgive them. That's like a primary relationship. Start with them. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't, but I do know the blood. I do know that Jesus paid the price. I do know that his blood is enough and he took the sin of your mom and your dad upon them. And if you don't forgive them, then you're not forgiven. And you will live in torment. I mean, that parable that Jesus talks about how this, this man comes before the king and the king says, pay me everything you owe me. And he says, I can't, I don't have the money. And he says, oh, have mercy on me. And the king says, all right, I forgive your old debt. Next. And he walks out and finds somebody that owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the neck and says, pay me every cent. But $20 to this servant, and I'm paraphrasing, was like a million and he says, no, I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay every cent. Debtor's prison. How do you make money in debtor's prison? You don't. And he throws him in jail. And the king hears about it. And he brings the wicked servant. It's the parable of the wicked servant. Brings him in and says, you wicked servant. You were forgiven of all of that. And you went and choked somebody's necks for 20 bucks. Now you're going to be turned over to the tormentors. Listen, that's the way it is for you. And maybe you went through things that are unspeakable as a child. Maybe you went through things that are unspeakable in your family. Horrible atrocities, things that were evil. Maybe people took advantage. Maybe men robbed or stolen or cheated. I understand it's horrible. And I have my own story too. But if you hold that offense all your life, then you will get sick. You might even get a disease that's incurable, even though there are none. Only doctors call them incurable. Because once you repent, many times that thing can be broken off of you. How dare you? How dare you hold somebody else to a standard that, God, that you're not being held to? They really, parents, they do the best they can. God help the firstborn. I was the youngest. It was like when I came along, I was like, wee! <laughs> Forgiveness. Lastly, worship team, please. Lastly, worship. Worship. They worshiped. They rejoiced in what had happened. Set the stage for the power of God in your life. Don't be like a Saul, be like a David, except for the sin of Bathsheba. How can the ark of God, how can the presence of God come to me? How can the presence of the Lord come to my home? How can I fill my home with God's presence, power, and glory? Have a prayer life. Amen. Secondly, have faith. Take action. In other words, get up 
early, go to morning prayer, or open your Bible. Have a time where you're alone with God. That's faith. Listen, if God's going to come meet with you, how about set a time where he can come? And then be faithful to that. The third thing is repent and be forgiven and forgive others. And fourthly, worship sets the stage for God's presence to heal. Some of your homes are filled with God's presence and power. I, I, I've been to some. Walk in, I can always tell what's happening at home when I walk in. You're like, oh, snap, I'm not inviting pastor to my house. No, I mean, you can walk in, you can feel, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. You know when you come up on a couple maybe and they've been arguing and they're, it's all smiles? You can feel, you feel it. And you walk into somebody's home, same thing. You walk into their home and you can feel peace. You can feel God's presence. You know, God's presence ought to rest on your home. God's presence ought to rest on, rest on you at night. And if it's not, you better do whatever you can. Get rid of strife. Get rid of unbelief. Get rid of sin. I was, this is for somebody, I, I was in Hawaii just at a conference and I, I, I stayed as a guest. And uh, where I stayed, I mean, I, I went to lie down and I've stayed in that room before. I went to lie down and instantly I start having images. All kinds of perversion and stuff. I'm like, Jesus name. No. I'm thinking, did I get defiled? What happened? Uh, I'm like, Lord, do you know, catalog everything, Jesus. No, I'm good. I'm just like, Lord, forgive me. Maybe I did something. God, did I do anything? I just kind of start praying again. Boom, all these images again. I'm like, ah, Jesus' name. Okay, so I took authority over it and kind of, kind of broke. Boom, first night. Second night, same thing happens. I know, I, is anybody else, don't raise your hand, is anybody else dull besides me? I'm occasionally dull. Occasionally. My wife can attest. Just like, uh, I wonder what's happening. See, it wasn't me. The problem wasn't me. The thing is, though, that with that kind of attack, because of, because of some of the things I've been through, the enemy will tap some of that to try to, to try to get me to think that it's me. Is anybody following me? He'll tap some old memories or get them to start firing off because it's a spirit. And so the, by the third night, I'm just thinking, you know something? Something's wrong with the room. And I talk to my wife. And like, she's like, man, we need to pray. I forget the whole conversation, but I, I just had a little prayer meeting. I mean, I've been in prayer all day. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like I'm at a conference. I'm praying. I'm laying hands on people. I'm doing the, you know, pastor stuff in a good way. And I realized my room had been defiled. I got up and I cleansed that thing. I cleansed the bed. I cleansed and broke off everything. I lied down that night. It was like... <laughs> The sleep of the just. There's a thing called the sleep of the just. Come on, lift your hands all across this place. We set the stage for your presence, Lord. 
we've set the stage for you to come and do what you love to do say what you want to say move the way you want to move we set the stage for you tonight come by oh power come by the wind Holy Ghost come, 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 Holy Ghost, send your fire, send your wind, Lord. Holy Ghost come, 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 Holy Ghost, send your fire.